May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Please have a seat. 1925, year of my father's birth, well into the 20th century and on the heels of the big war that started with somebody insulting a king, it became clear that most of the kings and queens of the world were symbolic by that time, and most of the people in the world did not live under the, the power of an actual worldly king. Plenty of dictators, but no kings. And so the Pope at the time had what was called by one theologian a happy inspiration. He thought to himself, well, if the kings have faded on, in a worldly sense, this might be a good time to remind people of the king that we serve on high, a higher king and a higher authority. And so this idea of Christ the King Sunday was instituted, and we as an Episcopal church espoused it, and we've been talking about it and celebrating it ever since. And all our readings steer us towards a better understanding of what we as Christians might think of monarchy and kingship and what on high might have to mean. God, by the prophets, Jeremiah especially, has been talking about kings since before memory. And God, through Jeremiah, draws this analogy of a shepherd. Now, uh, there aren't too many of us who are shepherds here, but uh, in fact, I don't know too many shepherds myself, but back when the Bible was being enacted and collected and redacted, there were a lot of shepherds, so everybody could relate. We have two. <laughs> and I'm not going to say anything about the last time Bob saw a sheep, either. <laughs> anyway, everyone could relate, because there were a lot more shepherds back then, but the wisdom is still in the metaphor, and the difference between good shepherds and bad shepherds is a concept that really concerns us still. We know how to think of our lives and power in terms of that, or do we? But by, by Jeremiah, God equated king and shepherd. And if you were going to be a good king, you had to be a good shepherd. David, the quintessential king, started out. He wasn't even there for the roll call because he was out running after the sheep. So we should get this. Worldly kings are shepherds, yes? And what Jeremiah is saying, as far as God is concerned, not only are worldly kings shepherds, we're really bad ones for the most part. And God demands a shift, a shift of attention, awareness, and attitude. Because these kings have been worse than ineffectual. They've been evil in, in Jeremiah's time. And people, people had to place their trust, their attention, their allegiance on a different kind of king, a king that was God's own self. And so at the end of the passage, God says, you will call your name, your king's name. You will say the name of your king, the Lord is our righteousness. That doesn't sound like a name, maybe a postmodern ball team like the Miami Heat. This is, the Lord is our righteousness. Usually kings have names like Henry and, you know, and Zedekiah. And the funny thing about uh, Zedekiah is his name is actually uh, a, a word that's combined in, in uh, Hebrew that means 
my righteousness is the Lord. And God flips it through Jeremiah on its head and says, no, 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 no. It's not my righteousness is Lord. It is Lord is my righteousness. And it doesn't seem like a big thing, but it's everything, really. It's everything. The Benedictines have a strange practice to us. They try and determine who is the most humble person in their group. And that's the person they elect to be their leader, the abbot or abbess, and they defer to that person. So it's a bizarre kind of power because the humblest person is lifted up, and that's the way the Benedictines work, and they model practice for us. Abbot, abbess, from the word Abba and Father. And we don't do this perfectly. A long way from it. What we're shooting for is humility in the face of power. Humility when we have power. And we don't succeed completely, but we have to strive to begin. And so we begin, to, uh, next Sunday, Advent, we begin with the birth of a child, a child, the firstborn of all creation, the utterly complete and utterly sufficient image of invisible God. What kind of power do we have to set aside in order to see that? What kind of powers do we have to break free from to see that? What other gods are in the powers that hold us? Because we, if we admit it, are a lot more like the thieves than we are like Jesus if we're going to take parts in the drama on Golgotha. And so we accept that fact. We are more like the thieves, and we ask Jesus for a new beginning like the one thief does. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom now, right now. We want to move. We want to move from a past of chaotic mismanagement to a present that has work that we can do. What can I do to actually make this happen? Uh, you can't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to be something. But you can wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to do something. And this work is supposed to lead to future satisfaction for us. So what is the work? Well, the formula is do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That's the theory. Individually, yes, we do that imperfectly. We have to have each other's help with it. We have to give help, and we have to accept help with that. Individually, we may love God, but what gives us a dog's chance is the fact that God loves us in our imperfection. Now, this past week, I'm going to digress just a little bit, forgive me, uh, was the Feast of Tabaski, which uh, in Senegal, a lot of Africa, a lot of the Islamic world is, commemorates uh, Abraham almost sacrificing his son. And they have sacrifices and a lot of social things that happen and religious customs. But it, it started me thinking about uh, Senegal and the amount of time I spent there and the Wolof language, which is famous for its proverbs. So we have a, a proverb here from the Wolof, which goes as follows. It's good to love a king. It's good to love a king. But it's better if the king loves you. Good to love a king, but it's better if the king loves you. It may sound a little cynical, but not when you talk about God. And it's the same difference Jeremiah is portraying. Zedekiah, the 
the play on the words of his name, a small thing but everything. Instead of God is what we believe God to be, what we're saying is we look, we long, we strive for an understanding of one thing, that we are to be what God wants us to be. It's the same street, but it's moving in the other direction. God is not what we decide God is. We are what God decides we are, and it's it's all the difference in the world. We are beloved. We are reconciled. We're, we're worth knowing. We're worth loving. And we're worth saving. So the other thief and some of the leaders say, well, you're so powerful. Why don't you save yourself? And the irony is that's the one thing Jesus, of course, will not do on that day. Because Jesus is not going to skip out on the journey he takes with us. The journey through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus is not going to cop out on it. And it makes all the difference there is. I'll give you one more Wolof proverb, as long as we're on a roll here. This one goes, uh, It means if you know someone who will die for you, that one will be your friend in this world. If you know someone who will die for you, that one will be your friend in this world, your friend for life. And in order to take this in, we only have to change one thing, and that's everything, our attitude towards power. So we have St. Francis' prayer. It's in our prayer book, and we hear it off and on. 11th step, and part of it goes, grant that we may seek rather to understand than to be understood, rather to comfort than to be comforted, rather to love than to be loved, for it is by self-forgetting that we find, it is by forgiving that we are forgiven, it is by dying that we awaken to eternal life. These are our instructions, and of course they're in paradox. Thank you, Jesus. Always a paradox, always something to figure out. And these are our instructions. As Franciscan Christians, if you will, we've been deported from the worldly kingdom. We've been deported to a godly kingdom. We've been reported and retorted and deported and transported out of this finality and limitation of sin and despair to a peace which can surpass all understanding, to a place that is to come and yet was before a reality of new and unending life. The kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah.